Good evening. It's 2222023. That's a lot. That's too many twos. Too many twos, like an abundance of two slow sloths in a dryer. So I hope you guys are doing well. Good evening. Welcome to your philosophy chat. No audio. You have no audio, you say. Oh, I have no audio, you say. All right. I guess now they've changed the setting, so it started. It starts muted for some people. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. We'll survive. All right. Uh, let's just see here. Better? Yeah. Okay, all set. Um, so let's, uh, let's get into your questions here. The present, my new novel, The Present, needs to be moved from the fiction section to nonfiction. Yes, um, I was hoping to get the book out before the shite hit the fan, so <laughs> it's out now. Uh, you can, um, I'll put the link in here, I'll put the link so you can get, uh, so you can get a hold of it, if you want. Close that down. A lot of, a lot of things open. And you haven't if you haven't listened to my leftism and wealth theory podcast, you really, really should. Uh, it's uh, goose, goosebumpingly good, goosebumpingly good. All right, I'm going to throw a link in here. You can start to listen to the uh, audiobook. Oh, I guess when you copy and paste, even from Word, it gives you some HTML over here. Well, that's all right. That's all right. And uh, let me just do one other thing. I will get the. The link, you can read the whole book. Uh, personally, it might be worth waiting for the audiobook, but you can read the whole book. And it's well worth it. It's well, well worth it. All right, let me just see here. I, it, it's certainly the most... I've really wanted to combine minimalistic language with hyper-realistic dialogue with the wildest circumstances I've ever written about. And I'm very, <laughs> very pleased with the way it, uh, it came out. So let me just give you a link here. Yes, there we go. So yeah, if you like to read, you can read it on um, the website. I will, of course, when it's all said and done, I will get the uh, Kindle version of PDF, and there'll be audiobook, and maybe I'll look into print and so on. But because I know some of some of y'all do like the print side of things, but uh, it's uh, it's a challenge to get the, the moving things digitally is just a whole lot easier and less complicated and less paperwork than moving things physically, because the world and the state and all this kind of stuff. All right, so let me get the. Uh, there we go. All right. Why are you not letting me copy this? Copy link address. There we go. <laughs> Finally buried six menus deep. All right, let me just post this in here. And then we will get straight to your questions. There's that novel. Let me put it over here as well. You going to wait for the audiobook? Yeah, I'm pretty good at audiobook readings, but um, there's a special flavor to text as a whole. So, All right, let's see here. Let's get to my questions. Can you do a deep dive on the French Revolution, please? Well, um, I'm getting a researcher, and 
uh, for me, you know, with the audiobooks and the shows and the call-in shows and the live streams and so on, finding the time to do the research as I used to with the deep dives. Plus, you know, it's the last couple of years of being a dad and I don't want to spend it with my arse buried half deep in HTML. So, uh, you know, my daughter's going to be 15 this year, right? So it's the last couple of years of being a dad. I really want to enjoy those. I mean, of being a dad in the house kind of thing. Dad dados in the houses or something like that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to hire. And look, if you want to help and, and chip in, I'd really appreciate that. You can give me tips here. You can go to free, uh, If you're on Locals, you can go to freedomain.com slash donate if you'd like to help uh, things out. You know, I just realized I saw something the other day, and it's been, yeah, a little over two and a half years since I was deplatformed. A little over two and a half years. Since I was deplatformed like a woman falling off her high heels. So yes, I am absolutely going to do a deep dive of the French Revolution on the Civil War, the founding of America, the Russian Revolution, perhaps. So, all right. What should I do, says somebody, uh, somebody asks, what should I do with chat GPT? You would like to see. Um, I mean, AI could be the Oracle at Delphi, except it's... It's going to be crippled by political correctness. Uh, Biden's even writing this D.I.E. manifesto uh, where he's saying, well, you know, anything to do with AI has got to be inclusive and can't provoke, promote inequities and all that. So, yeah, you just, you can't have. Artificial intelligence is going to be turned into real-world stupidity uh, by blocking essential information and anything that's politically incorrect. It's also boring and, uh, you know, which is why we can't have anything accurate or factual or anything like that, so... It's really, uh, it's really, really sad. Really sad. Good evening, Steph. Good evening. Snowy day. Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, I see similarities between the French Revolution and what's happening today. Evil seems to grab hold in cycles. Well, I can give you the general theory of all of this, and then you can let me, uh, let me know what you think. So a society goes through very, very bitter times, and then the bitter times, you know, hard times grow strong men, and you get a relative amount of freedom. From that relative amount of freedom, you get wealth. With wealth, you get the luring, the breadcrumbs of getting women out of the home and out of raising children into uh, the workforce. And the government, of course, prefers that women are in the workforce rather than having children for a variety of reasons we've talked about before. And women get to live this life of eternal adolescence, so to speak, by having guys chase them forever in a phase that's only supposed to be a year to 18 months from sort of 18 to 20. They get to be pursued. Right? Uh, attention is pornography for women, right? And so they pursue all of that, and they abandon the children. The children get raised by the state. And then usually within a generation, certainly within two generations, uh, you get a revolution. You get a revolution because when you have kids raised in daycare, the inculcation of values, of morals, of culture, of history, of ethics, of um, norms, and so on, just doesn't get transmitted. I know, I worked in a daycare. It wasn't any particular moral instruction going on, let me tell you that. So the culture is killed by having strangers raise your children. The strangers, they grow up, and I write about this very explicitly in my new novel, uh, The Daycare Kids and the home-raised kids. The daycare kids grow up without particular bonds, uh, with no loyalty to the society, and with a great hatred for the, uh, the, the rage, the toddler rage of being abandoned into daycares and uh, to be raised by strangers 
and the hunger for money, there's no respect. Like a culture that does not sacrifice anything can't command any respect and certainly cannot ask at all the young to sacrifice anything. Can't, and so why? Why would you defer gratification? Mom, you couldn't defer gratification for going back for a paycheck. Uh, a culture that pursues the almighty dollar at the expense of loving its children will fail and you could argue deserves to fail. When we give up love for stuff, we end up neither with love nor with stuff. That's the basic devilish argument, right? What is the devilish argument? The argument that Satan offers up to Jesus in the wilderness, in the desert. Pulls him out to the desert, 40 days and 40 nights. Stands before him with the temptation. Give up your virtue. Give up your love of God. Give up what makes you moral. And the whole world can be yours. Give up your children. Pursue status. Pursue money. Pursue material success. Just give up your children. And you will be wealthy. Oh, and your children will be fine. Anybody who offers to trade you love versus money, give up love. Give up love. You don't need to be with your children. You don't need to breastfeed them. You don't need to give them eye contact. You don't need to be around them. You don't need to love them. Give us the children, and we'll give you a couple of fucking dollars. Give us your children, the tentacles, the green tentacles of money-sucking probisci. Just wrap around and crush the female and the male heart. Just hand over your children, man. Aztec sacrifice, beating heart. <laughs> That's the way to do it, man. And in return for your children, the loyalty, the cultural continuity, the future, in return for your children, we'll give you a shit-stained paycheck-drenched in the hollow tears of your children's broken hearts. Step over the shards of your children's hearts. Get yourself a couple of bucks. That's the way to do it. That's the way to do it. That's what life's all about. The money. Forget the children. It's the money that matters. Now, Jesus being perfect said, no, not even tempted. Not even tempted. Thank you very much. Not even tempted. Uh, but uh, we are not uh, Jesus. Of course, so we are fallen. According to the story, according to the belief, uh, we are fallen. And therefore, when the devil dangles money and says, just step on your fucking stilettos over the hearts and faces of your children and grab this bag of cash, which, by the way, is actually just debt and paper shit made out of nothing, but your children's broken hearts. Just step over your children, you know, stiletto to the eyeball. Just grab this bag of cash. You get the bag of cash. You spend the bag of cash. You feel pretty good about it. Although, of course, the bag of cash generally goes to the people actually raising your children who don't really care about your culture much at all. Certainly not in the way that you would. And then the money is spent and the money is gone. 65 for a woman. Women live to their mid-80s these days. 65, the woman retires. She's got 20 years. Think back 20 years. 20 years, I was just getting married. 20 years ago, I hadn't even started this show. 20 years ago... I had more head hair and less nose hair, less ear hair. You know, you're past 50 when you go to the barber and you say, well, there's really nothing you can do about the top, but could you trim the ears a little? Would that be possible? Because hair's growing where I don't want it to grow and it's not growing where I do want it to grow. So 20 years, you've got 20 years. The money's all gone. Prestige is all gone. Whatever shit you walked through to wear that cute little Chanel outfit and the high heels in the boardroom. That's all gone. That's done and dusted, man. You're retired. You're replaced. You're done. And everybody's replaceable, except a mother 
except a father. Absolutely unreplaceable. Except the father, except the mother. Do you retire? There's a retirement party. And they give you, or they used to give you, a gold watch. My father gave me a gold watch that he got from his retirement party. So they give you a gold watch. Why do they give you a gold watch? It's an odd thing to do, right? Well, so you can count the minutes your children don't come by. You can count the minutes your children don't call. You can count the minutes until your children return a call that you make. You can count the hours or days it takes for them to respond to a text. You can listen to the irritation in their voice when you say, oh, I need something. It's like, well, yeah, I needed a mother, but you weren't there, so good luck. And then your old age, which should be golden and beautiful and giving in your community and your family and your society, transferring your wisdom, what does that turn into? It turns into you being a querulous, often old bitch and bastard. Because you need things from your children, but you have no right to ask for them to sacrifice for you because you did not sacrifice for them. You have no right to ask them to take care of you because you did not take care of them. You have no right to do it, but you need it. No right to ask for it, but you need it. And you know what happens when you need something, but you've got no right? You just become a bully. Just become a bully. Just become a bully. So you're old age, you're, you're querulous, you're demanding, you're white-haired Karen bot. Just nagging at your children, demanding and petulant and ungrateful. How sharper than a serpent's tooth it is to have an ungrateful child, says King Lear in the first story of this. King Lear didn't care about his kids. His kids didn't care about him in return. So in the French Revolution, yeah, they, you get the bourgeoisie and then, and then the government encourages the women to go into the workforce and the kids go into daycares, the kid goes to wet nurses and so on. They didn't even breastfeed their own kids. And then within a generation or two, uh, they, they come with their sides, their buckshot and their guillotine to exact revenge for their abandoned childhoods. Same thing happening now. Uh, let's see here. I've been waiting for the audiobook. Yes. Steph, what do you think could be the childhood roots behind a difficulty to accept help? Nobody has any difficulty accepting help. Nobody has any difficulty accepting help. What we have is difficulty believing that the offered help will actually be helpful rather than manipulative or destructive or greedy or consuming or way too expensive. No, no, I mean, people, yeah, everybody's happy to get help. It's just that a lot of people who offer to help end up pillaging your life, heart, and soul as a result. The price, the price. I thank you for the tip. I appreciate it. Uh, let's see here. Have we got any questions? What do you look for in hiring a researcher? I mean, it's the same thing I look for when working with anyone. I, I, I look for raw intelligence and accepted virtue, right? And when, whenever you do business with people, my suggestion is look for UBB or Christianity. In particular, look for raw IQ because they've got. I mean, raw IQ is the biggest predictor of success in any complicated job. Raw IQ, eighty percent predictor of success, by far <laughs> bigger and better than anything. But of course, in America and other places as well, the use of IQ tests to hire people, uh, even since the early seventies, has been 
this courage to the point of it being virtually impossible to do. And now it would be even worse. So I look for raw IQ and I look for moral integrity. And uh, that, that's it. All right. Um, pastors of large churches often have three or four researchers to help them with their sermons. Looking forward to seeing how that helps you. Well, I mean, yes. Uh, also, I'm looking for a researcher. I, I want to write a book on peaceful parenting. I've tried it twice before, and I've got about halfway through each time. I just need a lot of data. And uh, I have spent so many years looking up data and looking up things. I mean, gosh, all the way from learning how to program through undergraduate, graduate school, and uh, my, my business career, and then, you know, 15 years I did in this show. I'm just a little bit tired of scouring for data sources, so I'm going to outsource that. And... So, yeah, I think, I think it'll be great. We'll get back to the truth abouts, right? So I can do a book on peaceful parenting, but I need, I need the data. I need the data. When Steph got deplatformed, I thought, how dare they? Well, you know, the warmongers had to get the moral philosophers out of the way, right? That's natural. So no more moral philosophers, and now you're getting the... Step to war. Steps towards war. Uh, values and ethics is the most important thing to transmit to young people, but it has to be modeled. Yeah, so when you're a toddler and you're a baby, and look, I went through this. I mean, I went through some wild stuff as a kid. Uh, my mother was so depressed. had such bad postpartum depression after I was born that she was in hospital for months, months. Uh, so you can imagine how catastrophic it was. Her marriage was falling apart and... She had a lot of unresolved, legitimately unresolved trauma from the Second World War, which, of course, I have nothing but sympathy for, particularly the invasion of the Russians, who reportedly did some pretty terrible things to every German female they could get their bare paws on. So uh, I was, but I was sent to relatives. I wasn't put in daycare. I was, well, I was in daycare, but I was in daycare with a cousin of mine, and I was with my father's relatives. So it wasn't quite as bad as that. But come on. I mean, if you've been put in daycare, you feel like shit. You feel like shit. Unless there's some absolute reason, like, you know, your mom has to fly because she's being unjustly persecuted by a mob boss, you know, things that really never happen. You know, you, you're, your mom puts you in daycare, your mom and dad put you in daycare. They're like, we want things that are not you. We want money. We want a career. We want success. We want, a, and and so you, you just there's no deferral of gratification. Anybody with half a brain knows that you stay home at least for the first five years. You stay home for the first five years. You get your children for the rest of your life. You go to work for those five years, and particularly when you're young, you don't make that much money after taxes. And particularly when you pay for daycare, daycare is two grand a month after tax income. Not really making that much. Oh, it's the big question. Why Why did you put me in daycare? I have this scene. I have this scene. There's nothing in this book that's not going to be triggering to a lot of people, but that's that's how I roll. So, yeah, why, why was I put in daycare? Well, I had to work. No, you didn't. No, you didn't have to work. Why? Why did you put me in daycare? You can't ask, well, morality is about the deferral of gratification and accepting things unpleasant in the now for the sake of better things later. Why is America and other countries getting so fat? Because there's no deferral of gratification. It's modeled, right? It's been, oh, money, oh, squirrel, let me go get the money. Tell with the kids, throw the kids in the 
Lord of the Flies vat of daycare. Oh, I'm just going to go and you want to get money. Okay. Well, you got your money, the money's gone, and then you regret it. And then you regret it. You can have it all, just not all at once. I think of Phyllis Schlafly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Any album recommendations, Steph? Been enjoying listening to, yes, per your recommendation, a few streams back. Thanks. Yeah. Um, 90215, great album. Anderson, Bruffman, Wakeman, and Howe is a great album. I mean, so classic, yes. I first got into Yes through John and Vangelis. So when I was a kid, uh, Friends of Mr. Cairo, she came as in the book, Mickey Spillane. The Friends of Mr. Cairo was a big album, and I bought the album, loved the guy's singing voice, um, especially the soft part of the second half of Friends of Mr. Cairo. One and one to talk to you, like film stars, they get close to you. You merit his appeal. He wants you so. It's just beautiful and just lovely echoes and so on. John Vangelis has such a glorious countertenor voice but he generally didn't put it through the right processing or echoes, and my, but Vangelis as a producer just did that beautifully for him. And so then I picked up, I heard, oh, he was a singer for Yes, so I picked up classic Yes, and the first moment, a boom, 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 like the heart of, a sun, heart of the sunrise, uh, that, that prog rock stuff. It took me a little while to get into uh, some of their... Uh, other stuff, uh, seasons will pass you by, I get up, I get down. Uh, that's a little tough, tougher to get into as a whole, but uh, it's just fantastic. The prog rock stuff is just wonderful. And so, I, I, you know, you can't go far wrong with yes. And I've said this before, but A, a City of Angels, which is a pretty bad John, uh, John Anderson solo album, has a fantastic song in it called Hurry Home, Song of the Pleiades, which is also very inspirational. Um, the song uh, It Can Happen off 90210 is, uh, or 90215, is I always get the TV show and the album number confused, but that's uh, really great. I mean, gosh, when it comes to albums, uh, put on a set of headphones, Dark Side of the Moon and Wish You Were Here, you really can't do much better than that when it comes to particularly... Um, Uh, wish you uh, wish you were here. Uh, beautiful, where he's jamming to the radio, and uh, shine on you, crazy diamond, part one to six six six. Their homage to Sid Barrett. Uh, it just can't do much better than that. Echoes. Uh, this is a twenty minute song. Echoes. Santro Bay from that album as well. Animals is a great album, and uh, yeah, just some of the seventies uh, and eighties stuff as far as that goes is really great. I actually listened to uh, the other day. I listened to an album that I quite liked, and I think there's some Yes Guys involved, Asia. Um, and uh, now, now you find yourself in 82. <laughs> I just I remember listening to that in 1982, and um, I like that. So, Listen Without Prejudice, also pretty good, George Michael. So anyway, um, I, I'll put up a whole bunch. I mean, music is just a huge passion of mine, so I'll put on a whole bunch of stuff uh, and all that. I've also been listening to The Doors because I listened to a, um, an, a biography of... Jim Morrison and The Doors. And because people were pushing back, and I appreciate this, this is how you guys really help improve me as a thinker and as a communicator, and I really thank you for that. I talked about the evils of uh, Led Zeppelin, uh, the evils of the music. And now... And... 
it's pretty uh, it's pretty wild. Uh, it's pretty wild, and it's pretty uh, horrible. Uh, there are um, uh, there were groupies who were uh, 14, 14 years old. In fact, the Jimmy Page, who was a studio, a studio musician, who then uh, was, of course, the founder of Led Zeppelin, uh, dated a fourteen-year-old girl. This is my daughter's age. Uh, of course, he was in his mid late twenties or something like that. And uh, that's pretty uh, pretty evil. Pretty evil. Uh, something else. You know, you think of this, and so they regularly had sex with early teen girls, uh, which is statutory rape, I assume. I'm not a lawyer, but I, I don't know what the laws were like back then, but the idea that, uh, anyway. So um, here's, here's another story about Led Zeppelin. So when Led Zeppelin was playing the Seattle Pop Festival, July, this is from Rolling Stone, I know, I know. Uh, the band was playing the Seattle Pop Festival on July 27th, 1969. Then they went to the Edgewater Inn. The building sits atop Seattle, Seattle's Puget Sound. Guests can actually fish directly from their windows. So the 1985 Led Zeppelin biography, Hammer of the Gods, which got much of its information from the Zeppelin road manager, Richard Cole, des- describes a graphic scene in, which, in one of the rooms. Um, a... A pretty young groupie with red hair. This is trigger warning because it's just about as appalling a way as you can treat anyone. So you can skip this part if you want, obviously. Uh, So uh, the author, Stephen Davis, wrote a pretty young woman, sorry, a pretty young groupie with red hair was disrobed and tied to the bed. Led Zeppelin then proceeded to stuff pieces of shark into her vagina and rectum. And some people say it was uh, this guy, uh, Richard Cole, who, who did it. Uh, this band, Vanilla Fudge, have also claimed responsibility. So, um, his keyboardist, Mark Stein, filmed the entire encounter. So, that's... Uh, okay, so let's say it was just their tour manager. Okay, this is their tour manager, or whether this is them. So, they actually inserted pieces of a fish into a woman's vagina and a rectum. Uh, and uh, it's just uh, absolutely appalling. Uh, uh, this woman, Laurie Maddox, was part of a, the Los Angeles groupie scene beginning in the early 1970s. According to Maddox, Page became infatuated with her and had a roadie bring Maddox up to his ho- suite at the L.A. Hyatt house. He was wearing this hat over his eyes and holding a cane. He looked just like a gans- gangster. And she was 14 when she met Page. And, and Page did what he could to keep the relationship hidden. So, yeah, even in the swinging 70s, this kind of thing could put you in jail. And uh, they had uh, an affair from when she was uh, 14 to, I guess, when she was 17 and, uh, and was dumped. Uh, of course, Jimmy Page was obsessed with Satanist Alistair Crowley. And, yeah, it's uh, just... Uh, yeah, Jimmy Page once owned... Uh, he purchased... Alistair Crowley's former home. And uh, it's... Uh, it's pretty nasty. It's pretty, na- it's pretty nasty stuff uh, all around. Pretty horrifying and appalling. All right. Um, let's see here. 
somebody says, oh, regarding retirement, you don't even get watches anymore. I saw a guy just get a certificate and a grocery store cake from the discount section. Well, yeah, but my dad was a PhD geologist, so it's a little different. Uh, all right, let's, uh, let's get here. Steph, I know you're not talking politics, but can you touch on recent World War III escalations, the growing narrative of war with China and its potential consequences? Well, um, uh, people chose to believe lies, and when you choose to believe lies, you get violence. I've said this my whole adult life for the last 40 years. I've said it multiple times over the course of the show over the last 17 years. If you believe lies... If you swallow lies, you get violence, right? And so people swallowed lies. Uh, Trump was, without a doubt, the most anti-war candidate that's been around in, I mean, I, I can't even think of another president who was more anti-war. I mean, LBJ, oh, I mean, John F. Kennedy uh, started the Vietnam War. LBJ escalated it. Nixon ended it. Uh, Carter... Uh, did his aborted attempt to rescue the hostages in Tehran. Uh, Ronald Reagan did all of this creepy stuff in South America. Bush, of course, did, um, Elder Bush did uh, Gulf War. Younger Bush did Iraq and, and Afghanistan. So uh, with Trump, there was no war. And there's no way that this would be happening under Trump. There's just no way this would be happening under Trump. And you can get very easy posture points by standing and saying, we'll never negotiate, we'll never surrender, never this, never that. Um, and, of course, it's Congress who's supposed to declare war, though Congress has only declared war two or three times in the entire course of American history, and America's been at war for all but six or seven of the years it's been in existence, despite having giant seas to the east and west and largely peaceful neighbors to the north and south for most of its history. So, yeah, and people believed all of the lies about Trump and um, the consequences that the world is uh, rushing to war. This is this is why it was very important to um, have people not believe lies, not just about Trump, but just about about anyone. So, yeah, you you, you got your um, your virtue brownie points by putting down Trump, and now you the, the war party is back in, and there's a march to war. So, uh, you can only speak the truth so much, and it's up to people to accept it or not accept it. And you know, people believed all this nonsense about this Russia collusion conspiracy hoax, and they believe that Trump said drink bleach, and they believe that Trump praised white supremacists. And okay, well, you believe all those lies. It's just amazing. I was actually just talking about this with some friends tonight. So we we had dinner together, and I was just saying how it's an amazing thing, really, when you think about it. That I mean, there are lies, of course. There were the lies about Barack Obama, and there were lies about. Uh, Biden and so on, but just the Trump one, I think, is the one that most people here would be most familiar with. So people believed lies about Donald Trump that were absolutely easy to disprove. You could send the original video of, say, Charlottesville or whatever, right? You could send the original video to people to their phone. You have an argument. Oh, Trump, Trump praised this terrible group, right? And you say, no, here's the video. Literally 45 seconds. Watch the video. Absolutely condemned the neo-Nazis and the white supremacists, right? No question. Like, back in the day, if you wanted to find out the truth about, say, Joseph McCarthy, you literally had to spend a week in the library, and they had to make all these notes, and, and how would you get people to know the truth about that? Well, you'd write a book, and, and maybe M. Staunton Evans did, or, or you'd, you'd tell people, and, and so on, right? 
But but literally, these lies continued in people's minds. Absolutely slanderous, horrible lies continued in people's minds. Year after year, and it's people still believe it. They absolutely still believe it. Even though, even though they have, you know, a little portable black box in their pocket, 45 seconds they can get the truth. For, they, people still believe that Trump told people to drink bleach. They, they still believe this. Even though, you know, one minute. One minute. And of course, you know, I take this personally. People believe all kinds of horrible falsehoods about me when it's, you know, one 10-minute video and it's all, all resolved with, with the actual facts of what I said. So, okay, how, how on earth can you have a society function in the long run when people believe lies that their ass phone can shake them free of in 45 seconds. They still believe it, still believe it, still believe it, right? I mean, Richard Marr was ripping, I think it was some guy from CNN or whatever, saying, look, the Democrats watch your show. And a survey that came out a year or two ago said that 50% of Democrats believe that you have a 50% chance of ending up in hospital if you get COVID. He said that the people who watch your TV station, they watch your network. What's up with that? And he looked to some other guest, and the other guest was like, I think that question is directed at you. Everybody tittered, and it's like, you know, filling people with unbelievable levels of paranoia and terror, thinking that the virus is like 100 times more dangerous than it is. And you can look up the facts, right? I mean, don't you do that? Don't you, like, if some, you hear some, like, wow, no, it can't be 50%. I mean, the, the, the COVID is raging like wildfire through the population. There's no way 50% of the people who get COVID could have ended up in hospital because I see all these TikTok videos of people dancing in empty hallways. This is, it doesn't pass the sniff test, doesn't pass the smell test. Can't be, can't be. So you go, oh, a percentage of People who get COVID who end up in the hospital. Oh, it's less than, much less than 1%, about 1% or less than 1% or something like that. Okay, so. The amazing thing, a couple of amazing things about the modern world. A, that we can have this conversation at all, which I really hugely appreciate you coming by. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for, for dropping in. It, it means the world to me. But people's thirst for falsehood their absolute thirst for lies is just been blown wide open. This whole, people are willfully throwing themselves into a house of mirrors and, and absolutely you send them the link. Here's the facts. Doesn't matter. The lies just continue. They have, the lies just continue. The lies just continue being swallowed and repeated. And, you know, it's, it's one thing, you know, like Alexandra Solzhenitsyn writes, you know, they... They lie, we know they're lying, they know we know they're lying, they know we know, or we know they know, we know we're lying, yet still they continue to lie. Okay, but that was the Soviet Union, where getting the truth was pretty hard. A vibration on your ass can give you the truth in 45 seconds, and the lies continue year after year after year after year after year after year. I understand, I understand, a lot of people have a tough time knowing the truth about Richard Nixon, knowing the truth about... Joseph McCarthy, as I said, I, I get that. They, 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 think, they think that Lincoln was trying to free the slaves rather than impose a tax hegemony on the recalcitrant South and expand federal powers and so on. They think that um, FDR 
wanted to keep America out of the war. They think that uh, Woodrow Wilson conducted a just peace in the Paris Peace Accords. I mean, they, they think, so. But, but breaking out of that, like when I was a kid, breaking out of that stuff was like, whoa, crazy. You had to go and find really obscure books and you couldn't check the sources of those and it was hard to, even if you got all of that, how do you get everyone else to understand? Oh my God, it was so hard. But this is like, look at the video, 45 seconds, look at the facts. It's all we're asking, just look. It's right there, it's right in your ass. Reach into your ass, pull out the magic window that gives you the facts. People won't do it. What are they? I'm scared to believe lies, aren't you? I'm scared to believe lies. I find it, it's courting insanity. It's courting self-destruction. To believe lies. I'm, I'm, I'm openly admit this. I am scared of believing lies. I really, really want to make sure that what I believe is the truth because I've seen people be driven insane through lies. And that's really the purpose of lies is to make you insane, to make you addicted to them, to set you against reality. Maybe I just have that ancient evolutionary no bullshit gene, which is like, no, lies will kill you, man. Lies will, lies will kill you. You think you can swim that far? Oh, you get to drown. You think you don't need food? Oh, you get to starve to death. You think you can walk across the desert with no water? Well, you die in the dunes. Like, you, oh, you think you can jump from that high? Break your leg. And evolutionarily, historically, that often meant you were done, right? Some infections, a bone didn't set properly, you're, you're done. You're done. Oh, you think your kids don't need shelter? You think your babies don't need milk? You think you can just sleep through the night and let your babies cry? They die. Lies kill. And murderers use them. Always. So, I don't know when lies became so addictive. I don't know when people were like, ah, fuck the truth, I can just believe whatever the hell I want. I can just believe whatever makes me feel good in the moment. Of course, why don't people look at their phones for 45 seconds and see the truth about things? Why? Oh, because they don't want to evaluate how they're being controlled and manipulated and puppet mastered through lies. They don't want to know that uh, they only have the, quote, approval of their peers if they obey and crush their brain and fall into abject mental slavery. That's a really pitiful thing. The only reason that people are willing to put up with me at a dinner party is if I lie my fucking teeth off and pretend things aren't true that are true and pretend things are true that aren't true. Oh, that's a form of slavery and subjugation that people don't really want to process, right? So, All right. How does one prepare for war? I'm a 24-year-old male, which is the prime drafting age, and I've been feeling anxious. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't have any particular answers for that. Um, The only thing that I can say is that if you did everything you could, if you did everything you could to bring the truth to people, that's, I mean, what else can you do? You can't do more than work as hard as po- as you possibly can to bring the truth to people. That's what I've been doing for, for decade after decade. And, of course, I'm not prime drafting age, but did you, I mean, women in particular, single women, they vote for the left, they voted for Biden. I mean, did you talk to them and say, you could be voting me into war? Like, what are you, 
did you did you beg? Did you plead? Did you reason? Did you do whatever it took? Don't know. So uh, it's. Uh, I mean, I wish I had better answers to give you, um, but there's a reason I don't do politics anymore. Because you know, when you really finally get that, people are just like, no, we prefer lies. What's the point of being a truth teller in a society that generally prefers lies? I mean, it puts you at risk, puts you in grave danger. People aren't going to channel you. We like we're different, right? So we we happy few. We. We follow the truth. We follow the truth wherever it leads. But if people are like, why would you bother being a medical researcher if everyone believes that your cure is a poison and threaten you for trying to cure them? Like, why? It's like, okay, well, if you think that the cure is the poison and you think that the poison is healthy and the disease is health, well, and if you're going to punch me and threaten me if I try to help you, I guess I'll have to let... uh, Experience will teach you, right? If you don't listen to reason, you have to listen to experience. And sometimes that education is not particularly pleasant. But what can you do? You, you tell your uncle, hey, you got to stop smoking, man. It's really bad for you. No, that's nonsense. Smoking, it's good for you. It strengthens the lungs. <laughs> okay, well, you keep, keep, you know, here's the data, man. Here's the facts. Here's the x-rays. Here's the, here's the science, man. you got to quit. What are you going to do? Punch him every time he takes a cigarette? No, just, okay, well... I guess if you won't listen to reason, you'll have to listen to your lungs from space. All right. Is it possible to overcome insecurity in relationships that stems from my parents' divorce in 1974 when I was seven? Well, that's a great question. And I'm going to tell you something that may surprise you. I divorced your parents. No, I'm going to tell you something that will surprise you. Person who is, what, one year older than me. Oh, one year younger than me. So... The insecurity you have in relationships is not because of your parents' divorce in 1974 when you were seven. Absolutely not. Because your parents' divorce in 1974 is forever and a day ago. What is that, 39 years ago or something? It can't happen. There's nothing in the present that is causal from your parents' divorce physically, right? The insecurity you have in relationships does not stem from your parents' divorce. It stems from your narrative, your story, the, quote, moral that you got from your parents' divorce, right? When bad things happen, we like to engage in magical thinking. It's natural. It's inevitable. I do it. You do it. Everybody does it. When bad things happen, right, like there's a volcano just erupted. Oh, we angered the gods by singing and dancing. No more singing and dancing, right? So your parents got divorced. Now, you have two choices, and there really are only two choices about this. This is a huge, massively important foundational fundamental life lesson. There are only two choices when something like this happens in your life. Now, I'm going to pretend you're not seven because we'll get to the seven thing in a second. Two cho- you have two choices, and that's it. That's it. Two choices. Number one, you say, my parents were idiots who made terrible decisions and destroyed the marriage. Right, that's number one. That's tough. You can't really do that as a seven-year-old. Because then you say, oh, great, I spend the next 10 years under the care, custody, and control of idiots who make terrible decisions and are willing to abandon relationships they chose, which are way easier than being a parent. And, of course, as a child, you didn't choose the parents, so you, you can't generally do that as a kid. So what do you do? What do you do? Well, your parents are going to 
layer you with immense amounts of bullshit about the marriage, right? Because, oh, mommy's leaving, daddy's moving out, blah, blah. Oh, what happened? Well, you know, sometimes people, you know, they just drift apart. You know, we, we tried, we tried to work it out, but, you know, relationships are really tough and, and we just, we, 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 we were in love once, but we just drifted apart, we grew apart, blah, 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 right? So that's not a parent saying, I, I made a terrible decision, kid. I'm so sorry. I chose the wrong mother slash father for you, man. I, I was blinded by lust. She's so pretty. He's so hot. And, you know, we just, we snipped and snapped at each other. We didn't grow up. We didn't take counseling. We didn't become mature. We just, we're just retarded children in adult bodies, and we've completely screwed up your childhood. And because we're unbelievably irresponsible and immature and volatile and we can't defer gratification and we can't look at the long picture. Oh, and by the way, kid, we really don't give a shit about how this affects you because we're all about us. Well, you're not going to get that speech from parents. They're not going to take ownership for the screw-up of the marriage. No, they're going to blame the institution or something about men and women or, well, you know, all women turn into bitches after you marry them and all men turn into bastards after you marry them and they're going to blame some human nature, some relationship, some whatever, some marital inevitability. Relationships are tough, man. No, they're not. They're not tough. My relationship with my wife is beautiful and easy and joyous and wonderful. My relationship with my daughter is beautiful, easy, joyous and wonderful. Relationships are not tough. They're not tough. I don't fight with my wife. I don't fight with my daughter. I don't fight with my friends. Relationships are not tough, my friends. They're not tough. Work can be tough. Relationships are recreation. They're not tough. Relationships aren't tough. Immature people are exhausting. That Immature people are exhausting. I'll give you that. It's not relationships are tough. So when you were seven, your parents fed you unbelievable lies about why they broke up. I mean, my, my mom did the same thing. Why did you get divorced from dad? Well, I was in a hospital and I was really depressed after you were born. First of all, not the greatest thing to hear when you're a kid, but whatever, right? My mom's crazy. And your father came in and he was just huffing and puffing and angry, staring out the window. And I'm just lying there. I'm needy. I'm begging. I'm so sad. I just need to be hugged and held and told everything's going to be all right and be told that I'm loved and being told that I'm cared about and everything's going to work out. And he just stares and he looks out of the window. He looks out across the window. He looks out across the moors and he says, I'd rather be fishing. And at that moment, bink, the whole cherry orchard thread broke and I knew that it was over and blah, blah, blah. Right? Okay. So what does that tell me? Well, what story could I interpret from this story of my mother's? Well, I, I could interpret this story while well, you start off loving someone and then, you know, you have a stumble, you get a little depressed, you end up in hospital, you're unwell, you need a hug, you need help, and they just turn into bastards. <laughs> no, no, they don't. No, they don't. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. So... <laughs> For a family member's wedding, my mother and my father got together at my place many, many, many years ago. It was the first time they'd been together since, I guess, they divorced, right? And this was decades, decades after they divorced. And my mother, one of the things that she'd get mad about with my dad is he wouldn't wash his hands as much as she wanted, and he would touch things, and then he would touch his mouth, and he'd always have a cold, and he'd always be having a cold, and... So, of course, when he comes to my house 30 years after they divorce or 25 years after they divorce or whatever, and he's, he's sniffling, he's got a handkerchief. <laughs> my mom turns to me in the kitchen and she says, that's probably the same cold he had when I divorced him. 
I shouldn't laugh, but man, this venom, this venom. Oh, you see, but love can just magic. It can just transform into venom, you see. Love can just become venomous. It's terrible. Just something that happens. You put one foot wrong, you say just one wrong thing. Boom. Okay. But it's not true. In my view, there were two crazy people who chose each other because they didn't want to work on their own issues. My mother chose my father because he was fairly good looking when he was younger. He was fairly tall. He was very well educated. He had a, a big, a lie, a successful career ahead of him. He came from a, a very well-established old family. Uh, I'm just starting to work on for the uh, History of Philosophers series, George Berkeley. George Berkeley is the first philosopher I'm doing who was taught by my ancestor, William Molyneux, So he came from a big, illustrious family. I technically have ESQ, Esquire, after my name. Could be royalty, could be aristocracy. But So yeah, he was a very prominent uh, person from a very well-established and aristocratic family and very well-educated. And my mom was uh, could be very funny, good conversationalist, very intelligent and gorgeous when she was younger, no question. So yeah, they got together for reasons of vanity, but they didn't established quality of character and maturity and stability and they didn't examine each other's history and figure out what could be their tripping points or anything like that. So so your insecurity in relationships doesn't come from your parents' divorce. That's just something that happened. It doesn't come from a fact. It comes from a story. And whenever people fuck up, the first impulse is to have a story about it that exonerates them, makes the other person bad or the institution bad or the society bad or the system bad or capitalism bad or whatever, right? I didn't fuck up. It's the system. It's like this old uh, Monty Python sketch. Some criminal gets arrested. Oh, it's a fair cop, but society is to blame. Right, we'll be charging them too. (laughs) Society is to blame. Yes, we'll be charging them too. That's funny because you don't charge society, you charge the individual, right? Maturity happens when you run out of excuses. Maturity happens when you run out of excuses. When it's too exhausting to make another bullshit reason why something bad happened, why something screwed up, why, right? So what were your, what were your parents' story about why they got divorced? I bet you, now that story and your acceptance of it, which you had very little choice about when you were seven, that story is what's screwing you up in your relationships, not the fact that your parents got divorced. If they'd been really honest about it with you, which... They never are. So don't look at the things that happen in your life. Look at the interpretation. Look at the story. There's no moral in the facts. There's no ought from the is. There's no moral in the facts. The morals come from our interpretation of the facts. And we can interpret them accurately or we can interpret them inaccurately. But the, the facts don't dictate the morality, the facts of a divorce. Now, the facts of murder, yes, immoral and so on. The facts of a divorce, it doesn't dictate You know, I mean, there's a lot of my family members on both sides who suffer from mental illness. Very creative, very smart, very eloquent, brilliant. I mean, my my uncles are world-renowned poets and writers uh, in in Germany, and and then they were all, of course, uh, had driven underground during the war. Uh, The Nazis drove them underground. They weren't allowed to publish. They had to hide. Brilliant people. 
and often kind of crazy. So I thought, okay, well, given my genetics, I'm going to drive fast in life. Just going to have to drive fast. My brain moves super fast, right? For better and for worse. So if you're going to drive complicated highway with your pedal on the metal, you better be a good fucking driver or you're going to crash and flame out, right? So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to be driving fast. Most of my family crashes, so the best thing that I can do, the only way I'm going to survive the accelerometer known as my brain is to be a really, really good driver. So I better study truth, facts, reason, evidence, empiricism, rationality, philosophy. I better be a great driver or I'm going to crash. Now, I was close to crashing. Bailed. That's what you want to do, right? Plane's going in. Bail. So, does my child to dictate? Well, you know, of course, I'm kind of crazy. My whole family's kind of crazy. I had a crazy childhood. There's no excuse. Maturity happens when you run out of excuses. I don't have an excuse to be crazy. I have no excuse to be crazy. He's head screeching at the top of his lungs on the internet. <laughs> I, have, I have no excuse to be crazy. Like an alcoholic whose father uh, was a rampant alcoholic, he has no excuse to be an alcoholic because he knows exactly how bad it is. He knows exactly how bad it is to be an alcoholic. I have no excuse to be crazy because I've seen exactly how bad crazy is and how it comes about. Crazy happens when you will virtue by undoing reality or you attempt to will virtue by undoing reality. And when you refuse to take responsibility for the wrongs you've done. And you have to make up, when you are a brutalizer, you have to make up a fictional universe wherein you're the victim and you have to go and inhabit that fictional universe, which means you, you become an enemy to truth, to empathy, to curiosity, to questions, to moral standards. You become demonic. Demons arise. You summon demons when you attempt to rewrite reality to make you a victim rather than a victimizer. To make yourself a hero rather than a coward. To make yourself someone who just loves and cares too much rather than somebody without empathy who preys on others. You rewrite reality to make yourself the victim and you're the abuser. That's when the demons fill your head and the world falls apart, at least the world around you, which is why it's important to run. All right. Uh, hey, Steph, do you think some people aren't ready for the truth about things? Had a guy rage at me for expressing an alternate opinion about 2020. Yeah, it's funny, you know, the same people who believe that there's no truth will rage about you, or will rage at you for an alternate perspective. <laughs> that guy's not ready for the truth. That guy's wired to be hostile to the truth, right? The, the way you drive people crazy is you say, you're an evil person for asking questions. This is the only truth. If you ask any questions, have any doubts, you're just an evil person. You're just an evil person. And that way... Your free will is demolished because nobody wants to be evil, do they? At least not consciously. So you madden people, you drive them crazy. Our fundamental attribute as human beings is to question, to reason, to be curious, to want to know, to be skeptical, to doubt is the essence of modernity. It's the only reason we have modernity is we doubt. And when you are stripped of your capacity 
to doubt by being told that all doubt, all questions are evil. You understand? Woke is the new inquisition where questions are blasphemy and doubts are evil and punishment for words is gravity, is the name of the game of the day, every day. We are back in the Spanish Inquisition. Have you seen the phenomenon of girls on TikTok waking up from a dream crying because they thought they gave birth to a baby? I have seen that. I have seen that. And boy, you know, if there was ever a time to listen to your unconscious, that would be the time. I was listening today to a, uh, a Kevin Samuels, still a great guy to listen to, a Kevin Samuels uh, video where this woman, she's 40, she's got a PhD She's five foot six and a size 12, which is, you know, fairly, fairly heavy. And she wants a wealthy guy. And it's like, I don't, I just don't. <laughs> I mean, look, we all know that, that men have to be made. Women just are, right? Women have value by existing. Men have to create value by producing. But I, I don't, I don't understand at all. Like genuinely, don't understand at all. How do you, how do you how do you get so deluded that that oh, I'm forty, I'm fat or very heavy. I uh, I want a top tier guy. Like oh, and she also hadn't been in a relationship for ten years. I mean, I get too high a body count is bad, but a 10-year gap at the resume is also bad. Whew. I people live, people, people live in such unreality. They live in such unreality. And you can do that. You're like, you don't have to work if you've got money in the bank. But the money always runs out in society. So you can live in unreality until you run out of money. And then, well, you can listen to my novel, The Future, freedomain.locals.com. Uh, was Bitcoin your best financial investment or was there something bigger? Um, who cares about my finances? It's not really that important. Uh, I want to say thanks for your work. Thanks for the work you do. Watching since 2015, you helped me ever since. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. That's wonderful to hear, and I really, really appreciate it. Do you think we will ever go back to before COVID, or is that over, the somewhat normal days pre-COVID? Oh, no, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like I don't mean to laugh, but no, that's not. I mean, it, it, too many people complied. Everybody knows that now. Too many people complied. They can, <laughs> they can quote, test completely untested new medical technology, which was disastrous on animals. They can test it for 28 days and 80, 90% of the population just roll up their sleeves. There's no going back. Like once, once you know that you can program people to be that obedient about something that uncertain, no, no going back. <sighs> After rewatching your documentary on the fall of Rome, it's so crazy how the similarities between the fall of the American empire and Rome. Yeah. Uh, why do they believe the lies? Well, the fundamental lie is not about Trump or it's not about whatever, right? The, the fundamental lie is that 
People care about them for who they are. People care about them for who they are. Now, if people only care about you if you agree with them, then they care not about you, but about your conformity, your emptiness. So they don't care about you. They care about you supporting their virtue signaling, their grandiosity, their narcissism, whatever it is, right? So, you know, we are social animals, we attach, and, and detachment from social circumstances is really, ostracism, as I've said before, triggers the same brain elements as torture, literally, literal torture. It's literal torture. So, if people say, well, the condition of hanging out with us is you've got to repeat lies, Like, you know, you're at some dinner party with friends, family, whoever, right? And someone says, yeah, well, Trump praised white supremacists. You say, no, no, we didn't. You pull out the video, right? Do people say, wow, thank you. I, I, I really appreciate that. That's, wow, I, I can't believe I s believed something so unjust about someone. That's, that's terrible. Boy, I really got to apologize to the people I told that to. And I feel really bad that I got so easily hoodwinked. And I mean, are they going to say that? They're going to be mad at you. They'd be angry at you because you're revealing their humiliation. You're revealing that they are serfs or slaves or livestock to other people's pathetic, vainglorious virtue signaling, right? People want to feel like they're loved. They don't want to, <laughs> they don't want to be revealed as useful tools for other people's narcissism. Uh, the chat froze. <laughs> really? Because, <laughs> is that right? Let's see here. No, it's still going. All right. We have to construct false virtues to fill the gaps in our objective virtue. Do not threaten the easy virtue of the wicked. Oh, yeah, of course. It's a lot easier to say, I'm thin rather than lose weight. It's a lot easier to say, I'm healthy rather than eat well and exercise. It's a lot easier to say things than to do things. And when it comes to virtue, which gives people the greatest high of all, virtue is a lifelong orgasmic happiness. I'm telling you this, right? It's a lifelong orgasmic happiness. People want the happiness of virtue, but they don't want the risk that comes with being virtuous, which is angering evildoers. So if you can, this is what evildoers do. They say, well, we'll call you good as long as you don't interfere with our plans and support what we're doing. Some people are like, oh, well, I, 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 I want the high of being good, but I don't want the risk of angering evil people, so I'll just do what the evil people define as good, and eh, I'd be happy. Right. What's the worst, what is the worst lie you've ever heard? I'd have to think about that. I'd have to think about it. It's a very big question. And uh, I've heard so many, as we all have, that I would have to, uh, I'd have to really think about that. Let me make a note of that. All right, sorry, I've lost a, a bunch of questions here. Ah, all right. Um, yeah, New York Times just said um, mask mandates didn't work. But you see, this is... a. Uh, People who've already got you to believe lies, when they then reveal the truth, it's just kind of a power play. They're just kind of laughing at you, right? 
All right. People don't want to risk disagreeing with what everyone else apparently agrees with. Well, yeah, of course. But I mean, this is all the way back. You know, when I remember flying to Africa when I was six and I listened to on repeat on the airplane the story of the emperor's new clothes, right? You know, the story of the emperor's new clothes, right? A bunch of tailors come to town and say to the emperor, we have the cloth that's most magnificent. It's the most beautiful silvery rainbow cloth that just hangs perfectly. It's like a waterfall of beauty on your skin. Uh, But the one thing is that it's invisible to people who aren't competent to do their jobs. And of course, they're just pretending, right? The king says, well, I can't see it, but I don't want to admit I'm incompetent to be a king. So he just talks about how wonderful it is. And he says, that they go to the courtiers and they go to the queen. Oh, yeah, it's wonderful fabric, but you can't see it if you're not competent to do your job. They're all like, oh, no, no, I can see it. It's all magnificent. It's all beautiful. And he goes out and this room has gone around town. You can't see this fabric. The king's ass naked on his horse. And then finally, one kid says, why, why is the king naked? <laughs> it sort of shatters the whole illusion, right? I mean, everybody knows that story. And then what do, what do parents always say? Well, you got to resist peer pressure, kid. you got to resist peer pressure. You can't just go around with the crowd. Like when I was raised, in, in the beginning it was London Bridge, then it was the CN Tower, right? You're raised, you do something stupid with your friends, and then you get caught, and they say, well, Steph, why did you do it? Well, they were doing it. Oh, yeah, well, if they jumped off the London Bridge, would you jump too? If, you, if they jumped off the CN Tower, would you jump too? That's what I was told. And everybody's told this. I don't know if it's still the case anymore. But yeah, I was told about this repeatedly. The fact that other people are doing it doesn't make it right. You've got to think for yourself. That's how I was raised. It's ne- it was never an excuse to go with the crowd. Never an excuse to go with the crowd. I'm getting the feeling that's not such a big thing anymore. <laughs> uh, let's see here. With respect to the lies... I think that many of the nihilists out there haven't found enough meaning in their lives and genuinely don't care whether they make it through the upcoming crisis. Changes in their mind, uh, sorry, change in their mind is painful and pointless and war and death less of a fear than a critical mass of people who would suddenly find their behaviors unacceptable. So accordingly, they support the war and mock those like Frida Mayne who would rather fix things. Right, right. I mean, you drive the moderates. I was... Absolutely a moderate, a complete and total moderate, because I'm trying to join disparate factions together under the umbrella and rubrics of reason and evidence, right? A complete and total moderate, always have been, always will be. You drive the moderates out and push the extremes apart, and then you end up with conflict, right? So, do you guys know Eros and Thanatos? Have you heard of this, uh, this duality, Eros and Thanatos? Hit me with a Y if you know this what I'm talking about. It's fine if you don't. It's not particularly <laughs> like you'd have to or anything like that. But, yeah, hit me with a Y if you know Eros and Thanatos. Yeah, a few people do. Yeah, a few, a few people do. Okay, so I will tell you a little bit about this because this is how you understand the modern world. I mean, the world that's always been. This is how you understand the modern world. On a 1 to 10 scale... No, let's go minus 10 to plus 10. Minus 10, you're terrified of war. Plus 10, you can't wait to enlist. Give me a minus 10 to a plus 10. I'm going to get gauge. I mean, I have a pretty good sense, but I want to tailor what I'm saying to the audience. It is a live stream after all. So what you got? What you got here? 
All right, yeah, so pretty much everyone's in the negative. Some people are one or two people indifferent. And yeah, I got minus 10, minus 9. Okay, so always with the Marvel people. I don't know why people do this. Thanatos is the bad guy in the Chrono Trigger? Minus 10, yeah, okay. Um, all right, so I'm not terrified. I'd just rather eat a pizza. I don't know. False toughness is very off-putting, by the way. Um, so, so here's the thing. I'll explain to you how, how this all comes about from a sort of interpersonal standpoint. Because you get that people were absolutely horrified and appalled at J6, horrified and appalled at, at things that Trump said, horrified and appalled at Trump's tweets, right? But the world is wandering towards World War Three. People don't care. They don't care. So, Eros and Thanatos. And we'll just talk about Thanatos. I'll talk about Eros another time. So Thanatos is the death impulse. Now, we, people, we moral souls, we love life because life is pleasurable. I mean, life is frightening as you're surrounded by irrational, anti-rational, dangerous people sometimes, but life is a beautiful and wonderful thing. I am taken with the glory of life almost every day. Not, I'm not going to have a perfect surfing bliss of all times, but at least, at least once a day and certainly many times a week, I'm just like deeply, fundamentally, delightedly grateful to be alive. It's a, and again, this is why I thank you guys so much for the support and the privilege of doing this. So, because we are rational, because we are moral, because we are brave, but not foolhardy, in the Aristotelian mean of brave, because we live good lives and contribute virtue honesty, and maybe a little bit of inspiration to the world, because we do all of these things as best we can in a reasonable context. We love life. To be in conformity with reason and virtue and evidence is the closest to bliss we can get, because it is through that that all the other bliss comes from. If you value honesty and telling the truth, of course, then you can be in love, because you can't be in love if you lie. You can't be loved if people are lying to you, and you can't love them if they're lying to you or you're lying to them. Through honesty, we get a love. Through courage and honesty, we get a virtue. We need virtue in order to have the ethic of honesty in the face of opposition. I mean, you all remember what... You all remember what... Uh, 2020 was like, right? 2020 was like you and me staring down five billion people saying, oh, you're all wrong. Takes some courage. Goes a little bit against the instincts that we have. That's where all progress comes from, of course. All progress is saying, you're wrong. <laughs> you're wrong. People do need an iPad. But they don't even know what it is. Well, once they see it, they'll know. And then they'll want it. So we love our life, and that's eros. It's the love of life, the love of the just rewards of being virtuous. However, you know, and I'm not saying it's, obviously it's not simple there at times. It's what Nietzsche says, right? When you think for yourself, when you stand for yourself, when you stand at reason and virtue, there are times when you'll be frightened, there'll be times when you'll be terrified, but no price is too high to pay for the privilege of owning yourself. 
and stand in front of the world and say, you're all wrong. However you say it, you sing it, you screech it, you carve it in wood, you skywrite it, you whisper it sometimes under the sheets, you're all wrong. You're all certain, and you're all wrong. It's not easy. I, I get that. But there's such joy in that. It's really the only path to joy is to think for yourself. Nature has been kind enough to give us that endorphin. So we love our lives. We're scared sometimes. We're frustrated. Maybe more than occasionally. <laughs> sometimes there can be a doom scrolling through social media. But we love our lives. Because we're doing the best we possibly can with the lives that we have. And we are emulating the heroes who came before us, who gave us the freedoms that we still enjoy. So you and I have a very tough time understanding people who have Thanatos. Thanatos is the death impulse, the death wish. Not just a Charles Bronson movie. Not just a mediocre song by the police. But... The death impulse. So the death impulse is, I, 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 don't, I don't really want to live anymore. I've sucked dry the marrow of life. I get no particular pleasure in life anymore. Life is a burden. Life is becoming increasingly intolerable. I can't be at peace with myself. I can't get a good night's sleep. I can't be at ease. I, I, I get no joy, no connection. Uh, life is just wearing me down like a, you know, you, you have that pencil in primary school, you sharpen it and sharpen it, and eventually you just half lose it in the vagina of the sharpener and then toss it in the garbage, right? You're just worn, I'm worn out, I'm worn down. Why? Because you've been a bully, because you've believed lies and called yourself good, because you have pillaged the image of virtue for the sake of your own vanity, at the expense of virtue, at the cost of actually good people, because you've claimed to be good but attacked truth-tellers, because you've claimed to be virtuous but attacked honest and courageous people, well, you, uh, you weary. You weary of life. You weary of life. And honestly, there's no better expression of this than Macbeth. All right. I remember doing this speech in my 20s. I played Macbeth. I'm pretty much I'm pretty sure I could do it from memory, but what does he say? This is when Macbeth has not been able to sleep, knows that he has been bullied by his wife into murder. He's betrayed his king, he's betrayed his God, he's betrayed his country. And he says, uh, tomorrow, and tomorrow, and tomorrow, creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. And all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Ah, uh, out, out, brief candle, 
lives but a walking shadow a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more it is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing petty pace from day to day you ever feel i mean you've had i'm sure you've had down days in your life down times in your life the days feel endless there's no pleasure in them and you can't imagine pleasure returning so why do people not care about the approach of war who's to say they don't view it deep down as a blessing that they have cheated their way to virtue found themselves on an uneasy throne they can't sleep they can't rest they don't like what they see when they look in the mirror everyone around them lies to them they lie to everyone around them there's no possibility of getting back to truth or virtue or reason or evidence or facts or anything that is human and not an automaton or an npc about them <sighs> gabriel gabriel blow the trumpets get it done thanatos you can divide the people in your life it's a useful exercise who loves their life who doesn't ah Yeah, curiosity is the antidote to the false self. So the false self is, the false self grows when you're not allowed to be honest as a kid. I don't want to go to daycare. I don't want to go to school. I don't want to wear this. I don't want to eat that. And you're not negotiated with, you're just bullied and overruled. So you can't be honest. You can't be, or, or rather your honesty has no purchase. In fact, your honesty gets you in trouble. Right. Go kiss your smelly old aunt with the bristly mole on the side of her face. I don't want to. I don't want to kiss. No, I don't want to. Go do it. You're, you're overridden. Your honesty, your preferences bring anger. So then you have to fake compliance. You have to fake going along with things. You don't respect your teacher. You don't respect your school. You don't respect the people around you. You may not respect your parents. You may not respect your authority figures. But you've got to pretend to respect them. Otherwise, they will punish you in terrible ways. I mean, when I was a kid, if you didn't obey the rules, you got caned. I got caned as a kid, right? Caned on my ass. Very weird thing to do, by the way, but something autoerotic and all of that nonsense. So you've got to fake it. Now, at the beginning, you say, well, I'm just going to pretend. And you say, I'm going to suppress my true self until I get to a place where I can tell the truth. Like when I was a kid, I had hopes that I would leave the craziness of my home and get to a society that was sane. And for a little while I did, and then society went insane in a way that even my mother couldn't manage. So you just say, okay, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to lower my head. I'm just going to go along with things. Just, I'm just going to lower my head. I'm going to go along with things. But just for now, later I'll, I'll tell the truth. Later. And you keep waiting and you keep waiting, but you keep having to suppress yourself. And eventually... Sadly, tragically, for a lot of people, they just give up. And the false self 
which was developed to protect the true self, consumes it entirely. And there's no true self left. There's only the false self. The false self has become the death that it was designed to protect the truth self from. There's no capacity for honesty. Like when I see people, just the NPCs, just parroting stuff and mouthing stuff and Slava Ukraine. Right? When I see all of this stuff going on, the rightness and wrongness of the position, but the fact is not as relevant as the fact that they simply are repeating slogans. The same people in Russia repeat the slogans, the same people everywhere. They repeat these slogans. It's a, a marker. It's a grave marker. It's the ashes of a mind. I have given up hope for honesty. I've given up any belief that I can ever tell the truth. And when you give up that belief that you can ever tell the truth, you give up everything about yourself, your mind, your reason, your senses, your negotiation capacity, your capacity to love and to be loved, to attach, to connect, to respect and be respected. You give up everything that makes life joyous. It's horrible to see people wet-fingering the candle of their own potential, urinating with media false juice on the infernos of their own opportunities. It's terrible. Do the people around you really want to live? I mean, the people who lived between 2015 and 2020, they knew that there were no wars under Trump, right? Do they want to live? Now, they, of course, with modern war, they take everyone down with them, but do they want to live? It's hard to really... Make a strong case. So yeah, curiosity is you keep asking questions. But when people are addicted to lies, they can't handle questions. They can't deal with questions. They can't process questions of curiosity. Because that reveals that what was originally a survival strategy has now become a fixed way of being. A fixed way of being. I'm no longer suppressing my capacity for honesty until I get to tell the truth again. I've now turned dishonesty into a virtue and then there's no, there's no way back from that that I know of. It wasn't that they lied that was so infuriating. It was that they believed their lies. No, they don't believe their lies. I know this is from crime and punishment. It's not that they don't believe their... If they believed their lies, like if they believed whatever lie, the media lie, right? The, the fine people hoax, right? If they believed those lies, they'd be like, hey man, send me the video. It's right there. I, I'm gonna... They avoid the video. They know it's a lie. They know they're lying. That they're lied to, that they're enslaved to lies, that they're being bullied by lies, and they've become a bully towards others through those lies. Once you gain self-esteem or a sense of value or dominance or power or hierarchy from lies, nobody voluntarily destroys their own power centers, their own prestige, their own, I shouldn't say, I mean, unconsciously self-destruction 
is a fairly constant thing. We're just talking about Thanatos, right? So let me sort of re rephrase that. People don't consciously just do something that's going to harm their prestige. Unconscious drives, for sure. Yeah. Unconscious weariness with existence. So the reason that they won't look at the videos that disprove their lies is because they know the lies are false. And they don't want to reveal the power structures that have made lying so praised, profitable for others. So no, they, they, people absolutely know the lies. I mean, AI, artificial intelligence, is being taught to lie all the time. It's really all, all it's being taught these days. All right. Um, oh, my gosh, we've already done an hour and a half. All right. Let's uh, have another couple of cues, and I uh, will, um, I'm, trying, I'm trying not to go to bed too late uh, these days. I'm trying my best, trying my best to get, because I'm a bit of a night owl. Actually, I'm a lot of a night owl, and so I'm trying to... Um, get up and get work done in the morning. So these are some great speeches, Steph. Thanks so much. Mwah. Well, thank you guys so much. Remember, you can tip. I mean, would you tip a waiter for an hour and a half meal? I think you would, right? So what do you think of the role Dahl rewriting? It's inevitable. It's boring, of course, right? They're going to rewrite a bunch of stuff so that there's no fat kid anymore, and uh, there's no mention of women being secretaries. Now they're scientists and leaders of business, and right, yeah, it's it's you know, it's glorious in its honesty. Yeah, we're just going to rewrite stuff we don't like. Just, I mean, well, you already see all the rewriting that happens uh, <laughs> with with movies and stuff. So, can you give us a tease on your first truth about reboot? Yeah, truth about the um, French Revolution. Uh, they just want to live in their own reality. My truth, everything is relative. This is all they learned in college. I, I, I hate to be such a nag, I really do, but they don't want to live in their own reality because they know they can't, because they're communicating in your reality. They want to be in a situation where they don't have to be right, but they can never be wrong. They don't have to be smart enough, they don't have to be curious enough, they don't have to be well-researched enough or have enough integrity to be right about anything, but they just don't want to be wrong. I mean, society falls apart when you lower your standards. Ohio train wreck, right? So society falls apart when you lower your standards. Uh, when I was a kid, you were relentlessly told when you were bad at something, right? If, if you were, thought you were good at a sport, but then you wouldn't have, but you weren't good at the sport, you wouldn't be picked for the sports teams, right? I remember trying to sing Roxanne in a garage band and I was relentlessly mocked and rightly so for singing in a key way too high for me, right? Roxanne, right? It's, yeah, right? It's only one sting, right? So, yeah, I was relentlessly told, yeah, things, things that I'm bad at. I remember being, when I had a dance routine in theater school, people came to watch me dance, and not because I was great. I remember um, when I was learning violin, trying to do a solo, and people were like, ooh, you know, that's, you know, that, was not, that was not it, man. You know, this is why people are so fascinated by some of these singing shows, because people are actually telling the truth. Well, the men are telling the truth. The women are all like, well, you know, maybe. So... Shouldn't you wait a while for all the facts to come out about the French Revolution before you make a presentation? It's a little early. Yeah, so so people, they don't want to live in their own reality. They want to be right without being curious. They want to be right without doing research. They want to repeat things they've been told as if they're their own thoughts. And that's because we've led a lot of people who aren't super smart into our hallowed halls of intellectual 
achievement. Like, you know, high IQ people are pro-free speech. I've did this presentation years and years ago, right? The higher the IQ, the more support for free speech. Well, of course, because people who aren't as smart, they don't want free speech because they don't tend to do as well in debates. So... I watched Chernobyl recently. Amazing commentary on honesty. Yeah, for sure. You can't tell the truth. And so this is what happens. Lying is dying. Lying is dying. Physically or emotionally or spiritually, intellectually, lying is dying. And when they force you to lie, they're forcing you to try and seppuku, kill yourself in a sense, right? So. All right. Have a wonderful evening. Thank you so much for your support. Freedomain.com forward slash donate. Uh, you can go to freedomain.locals.com, sign up for the subscriptions there, and you can use the promo code all caps UPB2022 and you get a free month. See if you like it. And it's a great community. And there is, I just posted two new premium shows up there. One almost three hour conversation with a guy desperate to save his marriage and another one with a fellow who got so badly into debt, he lost 10 grand and then got into a debt a further 20 grand and it's threatening his capacity to get married and this level of addiction is really, really tough, but we had a very powerful conversation about that. So thank you everyone so much. Have yourself a lovely, lovely evening. I will talk to you guys on Friday night. Please don't forget to check out my uh, new book, The Present. I'll put the link in one more time. And I'd love to get your feedback on that. If you want to do a call-in show, please let me know. Uh, call in, C-A-L-L-I-N, call in at freedomain.com. Okay, lots of love, guys. Take care.